0: Good morning, Hill City. How are you? Come on, I said, "How are you? Are you happy to be in the house of the Lord?" Say yes. Come on, you can do better than that. Are you happy to be in the house of the Lord? Say yes. Yes. Me too. I'm so grateful that you're here. If you're brand new to Hill City, we want to welcome you. Uh, I'm Pastor Adam McCain. Uh, My beautiful wife, Miss Jamie McCain, sitting here on the front row. Would you give her a hand? She's so magnificent. And, uh, and again, as you may have heard already, if it's your first time at Hill City, we just want to thank you for taking your Sunday to be with us. In fact, let's clap one more time for anybody who might be visiting or brand new or just after a couple of weeks. And, and uh, wh- one of the things that um, is so important to Ms. Jamie and I and our team, our pastoral team, is that if you're here first time, second time, that you know how much we truly are grateful and you know you could have. there's so many great churches in the metroplex and that you would spend your time with us just blesses us and so as a result we have a little gift for you you'll see these little kind of these little tables in our we call them our guest service stations uh, little tables in the lobby with little ipads and you'll see one of our amazing guest service team uh... standing there as you go to exit go by there uh... give them a little bit of information just tell them that tell us that you are here and they've got a great little gift you do not want to pass up that million dollar gift that we have for you Okay well not that much but still something that uh, that you can be uh, at least be happy about. Hey we are starting a brand new time today. We just finished up a great series Called "What Is Love"? was not that awesome? Come on, let's clap for the Lord. How good that was! Now, again, if you missed last Sunday and you are married with kids, if you have kids, if you have grandkids, if you have kids who live down the street, if you knew kids, if you were a kid at one time, you need to go back and listen to that message, that teaching on literally how to raise our children, how to train up a child, how to handle even um, the. it, It was the main principles in Scripture on what the Bible actually tells us. To do. There's not a whole lot of scripture, but the ones that were there, we took every one of them and we went down through it. And I'm telling you, it is a far cry on how to love our children the way God teaches us and how the world is teaching us now how we're supposed to love our children. And so we set that straight and you don't want to miss out today. We're starting a new little little series that we're titled Road to the Cross. Everybody say Road to the Cross. Now, if you're new to Christianity or you've not, maybe not had a whole lot of Bible engagement, I want to take a moment and just kind of help you understand we are going to be entering into uh, a time where we celebrate Easter or the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I usually hate to use the term Easter because I'm old school and uh, this ain't about bunnies and eggs. This is about the resurrection of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He is not in a grave. He has risen. He is seated at the right hand of the Father making inter session for me the greatest miracle in the history of humanity is not that jesus climbed up on that cross but that he resurrected from that grave that's the greatest miracle in the history of humanity and that he loved us so much that he offered us freedom and he offered us deliverance and he offered us a relationship through him to the father and so we'll be celebrating Easter or Resurrection Sunday here in a couple of weeks, and we just thought it real impactful to go back and look at the Scripture and see kind of what Jesus did leading up and pull out a couple of the key events that happened in that last week before the crucifixion of Jesus. Just a couple, and we're calling it the road to the cross. So if I could for a moment, that's actually called Passion Week, the week up until Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. And so there are, I want to just kind of give you like a historical thing in your brain so you can like track with us uh, what happened in that week. So that first Sunday before the resurrection Sunday, so seven days before, um, what Jesus did was he had what was called the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. He came as the as it was prophesied that the King of Glory would come into Jerusalem. There would be this triumphal entry. We'll study that today. Um, and then on Monday, Jesus actually clears the temple. So this is the week before his death burial and resurrection, the days leading up to it. On that Monday, Jesus goes into the temple. He clears it. He turns over all the money changers, all the manipulators, all the selling and misappropriating of the things of God. And he says, my father's house will be called a house of prayer. On Tuesday, uh, he begins teaching on the Mount of Olives. It's one of the most rich teachings of Jesus literally quantifying and qualifying the big pieces of of his doctrine. You find that really on that Tuesday at the teaching of the Mount of Olives. And then on Wednesday he heads back to Bethany and basically we don't know a whole lot other than he rested. On that Wednesday, and then on Thursday is the Last Supper. We'll actually cover that next week. He has the Last Supper, and then most of you know, into the Thursday night, he goes into the garden to pray. And in the early hours, they come in, uh, in the in the late hours of Thursday, they come and they get him, uh, take him captive, and then uh, throughout the morning, of Friday morning, uh, all the things that he went through, beatings and all that, and then Friday he was crucified. Saturday. We know that he was in the grave. And so when the Bible talks about Jesus was in the grave or dead, if you will, for three days, it's talking Jewish concept. So if you have uh, one hour left in a day, they would consider that a day. Um, So again, they didn't have our 24-hour calendar, the way we operate, things like that, you know, in that time frame. So they would say that Thursday was a day, uh, you know, Friday was a day. So he was in, he was, if you will, in the grave Friday, Saturday, and a part of Sunday. All day Saturday, he was in the grave, and then Sunday. Come on, everybody say Sunday. Say it again. Say Sunday, and on that Sunday he resurrected in the early morning hours. When they went looking for him uh, at the grave, he was not there. And the angel said, "Why do you look for the living amongst the dead?" Come on, are you are you with me today? Say yes. And so, as believers, as Christians, the reason why we um, the reason why we get so excited about Easter Sunday is because it is the culmination of all of what the gospels teach that our Savior did, and coming to this earth dying on a cross and then resurrection into newness of life and so as a result that resurrection Sunday is one of the most celebrated moments in Christian history and we continue to celebrate it because our God is not dead like all the other religions their their little prophet, their little head person died and stayed dead come on somebody, our Savior the one true God not only did he send his only begotten son that he would die for us but that he would resurrect for us and he lives in glory power. Come on, are you with me? Say yes. And has defeated all the principalities, all the wickedness of this earth. They've all been placed under his feet. In fact, there are four gospels. Everybody say gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John They're the first four books of the New Testament And each of these books, they're called the, together, excuse me, all four of them are called the Gospels And when you combine all the chapters of the book of Matthew All the chapters and verses of the book of Mark and, 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 and Luke and in John You get a total of 89 chapters Now, I'll just give you a little bit of insight here Of those whole 89 chapters and the Gospels, what the Gospels do is they lay out for us the life teachings of Jesus Christ. That's what the Gospels cover. The book of Acts talks more about or gives us a history of the early church and then into the epistles where we're getting these letters on how as a a New Covenant believer, how to engage with one another and how to engage with God, correcting things in the early church that were out of order and things like that. That's what the rest of the New Testament really is about. But these four Gospels, 89 chapters... And the first 30 years of Jesus' life is only covered in four chapters of those 89 chapters of the four Gospels. It only covers four chapters. There's only four chapters worth of information and insight on Jesus' life prior to being 30 years of age. That then brings us to the last three and a half years of Jesus' physical life on this earth. It covers 80. Five chapters covered those, those three and a half years. What we have in that is that God is pointing to something very critical about this whole engagement with the Messiah. And of that, of those 85 chapters, 29 chapters in the four gospels, so almost a third, are all about the last week of Jesus' life, or what we call the Passion Week, the week leading up to His death, burial, and resurrection, or including His death, burial, and resurrection. So if the Bible puts it as a very important thing, I think we should put it as something pretty important. Are you with me? Say yes. And so today, what I want to do is I want to jump into what happened on that Sunday, that triumphal entry. And since this is a church, and I am a Christian, and I am a pastor, and you are believers, or at least those who are seeking God, we're going to read the Bible. Is that okay with you? Say yes. Yes. Come on, try it better. Say yes. yes. Luke chapter 19, turn there with me quickly, turn on your Bibles. As you turn to Luke chapter 19, I want to encourage you, especially if you're newer to our church, the last few months or so, we started in January reading the Bible together. We have this little uh, Bible uh, uh, you know, thing that we're doing where, um, it, on, on our iPhones and our smartphones. And it's uh, through the Bible app. And we're kind of reading the Bible together. And we, we were going to just do January. And it went so well. I encourage you, if you wanted to, to keep reading alongside the rest of us. And, man, it has been so good. Anybody still reading in that program? With? Oh, it's been magnificent. And uh, here a little later, maybe we'll throw up the QR code. And some of you guys can join in with us, even though you're just a few weeks behind. Have you found Luke 19? Say yes. Yes. All right, three of you. Try it again. Have you found Luke 19? Say yes. Yes. Well, if you can't find it, it's on on the board for you. Here we go. Verse 28. As Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. So he's on his way to Jerusalem, triumphal entry. And as he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. Verse 31. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it, tell him, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he told them. Can I pause there for a second? We're going to keep reading it, but let me just pause there for a second. So Jesus tells his disciples, hey, there's a village, there's a little area up ahead, off to the side a little bit on our on our track. Here's what I want you to do: go to that village, and you're going to find a colt tied at a such and such place. He's going to be t- he's never been ridden. When you go to take it, the owners are going to say, "What are you doing?" And you tell them, "The Lord have need of it." Now I want you to picture this in your mind. I want you to get a revelation of this moment. He's told them not just where to go but what to find, and then how to engage with what they found. This is what this speaks to me. No matter where you're at, no matter how tied up you are, Jesus knows it. God knows in advance. How does he know there's a cult there? How does he know it's going to be right there, and they didn't take it somewhere else? How does? Because he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so when Jesus says to them, you can put it in the bank, it's going to be there, and they show up. Guess what's there? A cult that has never been rid, no one has ever sat on, the chances of having a colt Tied off in a village up ahead of you That no no one has ridden The percentages of that And being able to call that in that moment Is astronomical And here's my point to you And that is this And that if Jesus knows about a colt Then he knows about you If he knows about where that thing's been positioned And where it's held off at He knows about where you've been held off at And where you've been positioned And when he has need of you He will have you untied and brought to him And let me tell you That poor little colt Can you imagine the rest of his life As he's out in... Follicking out in the fields And the other horses said, tell about your early life Before you came here Man, I can't even tell you The first time I was ever rode Was by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords I had been sitting there tied up Wondering what is my destiny all about Can't figure out what life is going to be all about And the Lord had need of me and he called for me Are you with me? Say yes No matter where you're at No matter how distant you may feel from Jesus He knows you, he knows what you're going through And he cares for you Come on, are you there? Say yes and so Jesus tells them, go get the colt, verse 33. As they were untying the colt, the owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? And they replied, the Lord needs it, just like the Lord told them to. Now I want to pause there for a moment. Can you imagine that? Imagine you went ahead and tried out Carvana. You found the car that you wanted for your wife. They backed up into the driveway. You're going to surprise her after work. They go, Doo! They drop it off the bed of the car. It's sitting right there in the driveway. You're in the garage picking some things up, waiting for your wife to come home. Next thing you know, a couple dudes walk up, open the door. The keys are still in the ignition. They start it up. You go running out there. What are you doing? This is my wife's new car. We've never even driven it yet. And they say, the Lord has need of it. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> to me, pop, 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 The Lord had need of that. I mean, what are you going to do? Now, that's in it. Just leave that alone. We preach that all day long. The, the Lord has need of it, and they go, okay, sure. I mean, do you understand a cult for them and the value of that for their type of lifestyle in those in that era? I mean, you've just taken their car. You've just taken part of their livelihood. You've just just gone off with it. And here's the thing I want you to catch in all of that too. That God himself knows exactly what you need. And if you're doing his business, he will have others give in to you so that you can prosper. Even, even if you feel like you don't deserve it. Even if you feel like you haven't earned it. Let me tell you, if you are about the Lord's business, he will have other, get others give into you. For the resources of heaven will come to you so that you can accomplish great things a couple years ago. Jamie and I, Miss Jamie had just, she had been serving in the city as the city councilwoman. She would given her life to that thing. I mean, and listen, the council here in Cedar Hill and the mayor, they don't take a salary from it. They don't get paid anything. It's all voluntary. And it is a whole lot of hours. It's a full-time job running this city my wife was running this city with the other councilmen and the mayor and all that and then she decided, you know what, we had a prophetic word that she was to run for mayor so we submitted to it she ran for mayor and then the way it works in local politics is that you, you give up your seat that you're in to run for another position she did not win the election gone, her seated council was gone, it was all over, she's sitting there like what just happened, we're sitting there like Lord did you abandon us, it was a very difficult time for us, we just kept seeking the Lord and praising the Lord in the midst of it and I'll never forget, I was reading through that passage that a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. And I set Jamie down. I said, baby, I just can't get past this. That, 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 you know, we've given everything. We're, we're, we're top ten givers in Hill City. We ain't got no money. I mean, how is that? We've given everything. We've been given above and beyond. And you gave to the city. And I just, like, the Lord has to renew that. He has to, like, like there's got to be something about that. And she said, "You're right." And I said, "I just believe that there's going to be some kind of recompense for that because we have served well and loved the city. There's got to be a reward for that." And she agreed. And we came into agreement. We started praying over. It. Within a matter of weeks, sweet lady in this city approached us. She says, "Listen, we—I have a, a piece of rental property. I have a little house um, that's really gotten destroyed by the by the former tenants, and re, and I'm looking to kind of." Um, I know I, I know how much you love the city, and there would be all kinds of people who would want to buy this. But I want to I want to sell it to you for a little bit of nothing because I know you will make the city better. That you won't just doze this house and make a bunch of money, but you'll actually you'll actually help it become affordable living for someone else who needs a little leg up. And so we bought this house for a little bit of nothing. We fixed it up, and can I tell you what that did? What well, not only what that did for us personally, financially, it, 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 it took us to a whole nother level. But it also made that whole street come up another level because somebody who loved the city, my wife, invested in it. We put our sweat equity, our tears, all of our little extra income, and we fixed that little house up. And can I tell you, it's beautiful and wonderful, and it makes us a little side money. Come on, somebody. So even if you forget to tithe this week, I'm going to still be able to pay the light bill. Thank you very much. Jesus loves me. But my point to you is this, is if you'll be about the Father's business... He will cause others to give into that business so that you will not sacrifice or not have to go down to the pit that your children will not say, man, all you do is help up at the church and help other people and we ain't got nothing, we ain't never had nothing or nothing like that. God will cause wealth and goodness to come to you because you are doing His business. Are you with me? Say yes. You may not believe it, but it's truth and it's in the Holy Scripture. It says, and they, as they got the colt, picking back up in verse 35, they brought it to Jesus threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. Now the other four gospels have this account as well. And again, you've got this account coming from, you know, if you ask your wife what happened yesterday when y'all were driving, she'd have a little bit different look. Or you ask your kids in the back seat what happened when we got to that red light, they would maybe have a little different opinion of it, how they saw it from the different angles. So the other gospels have some extra pieces even added here. They actually talk about how they begin to cut these palm branches, and they begin to wave them, and the crowd begin to just explode and grow and grow and grow. In fact, this moment... With him on this cult, Jesus on this cult Was prophesied 400 years earlier Prophesied 400 years earlier This is how I know the Bible is accurate Because you can't have this many prophecies come to pass Like this If you've got a bunch of manipulators Just trying to manipulate things And throw out things to get people to bl- uh, blindly follow Some false religion or something like this These prophecies come to pass Look what Zechariah 9 and 9 says It says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion This was prophesied by Zechariah 400 years earlier Shout daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. No king would ride a donkey. No, no king would ride a little colt into battle. In fact, what this, is, what this is imagery of is every time in the ancient world that a king would go out and do battle. And they would win the battle. They would then do that so that they could win the spoils of those who they beat or they conquered or they, they fought off or they destroyed. And then they would have a big kind of like, you know, Prince Ali, worthy is he. And they'd all come marching back into the city. And the king would come first. On typically either on an amazing, uh, with jewels all over it, some type of chariot, or riding a a stallion. Come on, you've seen those Arabian stallions. They come riding it in all pomp and circumstances because they're the conquering king. And they would, about a mile or so outside of the big city, the main city, they would get all of that prepared. It would be like a parade. Before the parade came down through the street, all off to the side, they'd get all that prepared. And they'd come marching with everyone in tow, screaming and yelling and applauding. They'd have their own hype team. The whole thing would happen. And they'd come into the city like a giant parade. But but Zechariah prophesied that your king, O Jerusalem, he will come in humbly with great praise and worship for sure. But he'll come in humbly on a colt. And Jesus does exactly that. He comes in humbly on a colt. Look at verse 37. We'll pick up there. It says, and when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Look how John records that same moment. John chapter 12, verse 12. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the King of Israel! Blessed is the King of Israel! Blessed is who? The who? The who? The king of Israel. Blessed is the king of Israel. Blessed is our king. Blessed is the king. John actually records that the crowds that were there for the festival... When they heard that Jesus was coming, they all began to leave out of Jerusalem, leave out of the city, and go out, and they're cutting palm branches, and they're waving the palm branches. They're laying them at the feet, so the donkey, they're taking their coats, and they're laying them on the ground, so the donkey, the little colt, doesn't even touch the ground with its hoofs. It's walking on their coats and on the palm branches, and, and, and estimation is thousands, tens of thousands of people are out here shouting, Hosanna! Glory to God! Here comes our king! Blessed is the king of Israel! This is what they're shouting. This is what they're praising. This is what they're singing. The whole crowd. In fact, John points out part of the reason why there's such excitement is because Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead just a few weeks earlier, and Lazarus is in tow with Jesus. And those people who were there at at Lazarus' resurrection, they begin to go around and say, "Oh my God! This is him! This is the Messiah! Who else raises the dead? We we were there." That body was stinking up in that tomb. He was stinking in that tomb. This is what we've been hoping for. you got to understand in this time frame, all of Israel, every Jewish boy and girl, every grown Jewish man and woman were in hope and in prayers that the Messiah would come because the Romans had so taxed them and they were looking for their own king to come and deliver them. So they thought politically, militarily, that the Messiah would come and overthrow the Romans and that the Jewish people would be the reigning people of the earth under the Messiah that the Messiah of Israel would come and reign and rule over every bit of wickedness and every bit of this people group who's enslaved and this people group who's who's in demonic worship to false gods that he would come and set up his kingdom and that they would be his righteous heirs and that they would govern with him this is their belief system and they had just a little bit Mistaken that Jesus wasn't setting up A kingdom like that He was setting up A kingdom that would reign And rule over depression That would reign And rule over, over perversion He was going to set up A kingdom that would Deliver its people From their own bondages Of sin and fleshliness And wickedness And set up a kingdom That where you and I No longer are prejudiced Not because of the color Of our skin But because something Shifted in our heart And we see men Through the eyes Of the living God As all being worthy And healthily involved In goodness And working together This is what he set up they didn't see that coming because they wouldn't have recognized him because he came lowly. So they had a conflict with the prophecies that he was going to come as lowly and humble. But they had an expectation that he'd be conquering king. And so as they see him coming, they all go running out thousands of people. Hosanna! Hosanna! Glory to God in the highest! It's happening! It's happening! It's going to happen! This is it! This is the moment you can feel it. That's the moment It's the moment they all come out They come from all over the country To have this festival To have this time The Passover And here comes Jesus That they know that they know he, Only the Messiah could raise the dead yeah. Only the Messiah could do that None of the prophets have really been able to do that, And they haven't had prophets They haven't had anyone of great, of great power For 400 years It's been silent The heaven has locked up And hadn't had anything from Malachi to Matthew And what we see in this moment Is the people's faith is through the roof It's through the roof. It's gonna happen. It's gonna happen. It's gonna happen. My grandfather didn't get to see it. But I'm gonna get to see it. My grandmother on her deathbed said it would happen. I'm gonna get to see it. Hey, come on. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. And then he comes into the city. And womp womp. He didn't call on the angels. He doesn't destroy the Romans. In fact, the very next thing that he does of significance is he goes in the temple and says, You brood of vipers, what are you doing? My father's house will be a house of prayer. And by Friday, Jewish leaders have condemned him and said that he's a fake. By, by Friday morning, they've got him captured and We've heard that his own disciples have left him. And, and, and then wait a minute, there's a big, there's a big town hall meeting, and Pilates, they beat on Jesus, and, and they're, they're asking for for us to come and see. And when they show up, there he is, dejected, humble. His disciples are nowhere to be found. And Pilate says, I don't see anything wrong with this guy. Of your accusations I don't see anything wrong but the same crowd that had been just five days earlier shouting and worshiping the King of Israel our King and Pilate says so since I don't see anything wrong with him how about I give you your king back and the same crowd now has shifted and they begin to shout crucifying crucify crucifying, crucifying! How do you go from Hosanna to crucify? He actually says, I'll give you him, I'll give you your king. And they begin to yell out, Caesar is our king. Go do the study. It's unbelievable. How do they go from, you are the king of glory, the answer to all of our prayers, to you're a fake crucifying what they had was fickle faith and I have been dumbfounded over the last couple years to watch Christians who were one day singing how great he is and the next day posting about how they're deconstructing their faith I'm worried that the church in America has fickle faith I don't want to be in the crowd that's yelling crucified Crucify after five days earlier having been in the the crowd that yelled, Hosanna. Hosanna. And I want to say to us today that we need to firm up our faith. Because the Bible tells us that in the last days many will turn away from him. Because of all the difficulty, because of the false prophets, because of the pressure. Can I tell you what I think the reason why they quit on him in those five days? Because they were disappointed. They thought he was going to be one thing and he was something else. They were going through something hard and they're like, it ain't worth it. I don't want to go through this anymore. And I've watched Christians year after year out of all these 30 something plus years that I've been a pastor, they'll get right up there close. And the moment they start going through something, they'll quit because they had fickle faith. But not so with Hill City. We're going to have some firm faith. We're going to have some faith that lasts through it all. We're going to go. Go through the fires and the rejection, and still be men and women who trust in the Lord our God with all of our heart, leaning not into our own understanding, but in all our ways, acknowledging Him and He's directing our path. Are you with me today? Say yes. This is always, always, always a fight for our worship. That's what this is always about. This is always a fight for our worship. And so we get down to verse 39. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Tell them to stop worshiping you. This is his final piece in this whole triumphal entry. In verse 40, he says, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Listen to me, religious person. If these people keep quiet, then the stones themselves will worship me because I am the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It's always a fight for our worship. Are you with me? Say yes. See, worship is our response to what we value. Think that through for a second. Worship is our response to what we value. I can always tell what you value because it's what you talk about. It's what you get excited about. It's what you put your time, resources, money, affection, it's where you put those efforts because you love it, because you worship it. That's where you put your effort and energy. I want to challenge us today that what has to happen is that we've got to be consistent in our worship. And we've got to have the kind of worship that actually firms up our faith. Because these people, they only worship when it looked cool and hype and it was happening. And they thought this could be the moment. But their worship waned the moment they went, wait a minute, I'm disappointed. That's not what I thought was going to happen. So I want to teach you real quick. In the little bit of time I've got left today, I want to teach you how to take your worship that turns you from being fickle in your faith to being firm in your faith. Everybody say, firm it up, pastor. Say, Say it again. Say, firm it up, pastor. So let's firm it up Let me tell you the kind of worship That it's going to take To go from fickle faith to firm faith Number one And that is a worship That has passion tied to it Worship that has passion tied to it Mark chapter 12 verse 30 Jesus answered Love the Lord your God With all your heart With all your soul And with all your mind And with all your strength Let me tell you something Worship's more Than just the songs we sing here on Sundays But it's an indication it's an indication of how much you love Him As how when the congregation gathers To say, blessed be the name What passion is there for you in that moment? Oh, I know there are people that judge other people's passion Oh, that's just hype That's just sensationalism Let me tell you something right now My wife wants to know, do I love her? She don't want to lo- know, yes Why? Because she's not giving a little, yes, I love him. When she's in there working that house, when she's in there working in the ministry with me, she's like, I'm doing this for Jesus, but I'm also doing it for you, Nodhead, because you called us in the ministry together. She's passionate about her love for me, and I should be passionate. Aren't you grateful that Jesus wasn't passive with his love for you? Aren't you going, I don't know if I really need to help him. Let's let them suffer a little more. I don't know. She's not my favorite. I've got some better ones than her. I don't really like the song she's singing. It's not my style. Aren't you grateful that the King of Glory is passionately in love with you? He cares about every hair on your head. He cares about your toenail being half hanging off. He cares about the thing that happened at work this week. Aren't you glad he didn't go, oh, just get over it. Oh, my goodness, you little ninny. Aren't you grateful? He goes, come here, baby. Come here. I love you. Who hurt you? I'm burning the house down. Who was it? That's your God. That's how he loves you. Aren't you grateful? In fact, John chapter 4 says it like this. Jesus said, he goes, the kind of worshipers that God is seeking... Are those who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. The kind of worshipers that God's seeking. Ah, there's one who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. The passion of all my heart, all my soul, all of my strength. So I'm going to tell you right now, you can't sell me on that we need to be stoic in our love for Him. You're not gonna pay, you can't sell me on that. Because I've watched those people have fickle faith. You want to get some firm faith, you start getting some passion in the way you express your love to Jesus. You start saying, you know what, Jesus, I don't understand it all, but I love you. I'm so grateful. I love you. You are worthy. You are the king of glory. Hosanna, my king. My king. You know what everybody else does. And so that's why, that's why I love the way Hill City worships. I love that our team that leads us in worship, they're not just standing up here contemplative. Mm. Lord is good, he's good, he's good, he's good, he's good. I said it a thousand times. He's good, 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 he's good. I told him I don't want that kind of worship. I want the kind of worship that I can break loose and show my love. I don't care if you don't like if I dance or not. I don't care if visitors like, oh my god, it's one of those kind of churches. Yeah, the kind that are in love. In love, what do you want to be? what's the what's the alternative? So you're never going to shame somebody at this church because they worship or throw up their hands or show some passion for Jesus. We'll come and we'll tighten you up. Why? Because love that begins to firm up faith is passionate. How does a guy cheat on his wife? Because he stopped being passionately in love with her. He stopped showing passionate love to her. And so he found another love. He got stolen. But if you're passionate about your lover, you don't see anyone else. Are you tracking with me? Say yes. You want to firm up your faith? Because I promise you, we're watching our young adults. We're watching our young people fall to the wayside. Fall to the wayside. What they'll tell you is because after they've gotten done with youth ministry and young adult ministry, and now they're married with some kids that we've taught them how to come and be passive. Not so at Hill City. My, my, my love is full of fire. Your love is full of fire. And that firms up. That firms up that like never before, Camp Lejeune, 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 in North Carolina. That's a military base there in North Carolina. Um, they begin to have issues with people complaining. Because, you know, they had all these, you know, jet airplanes coming and going there on the military camp. All this noise of, you know, all of the big machinery and this guy. And so they began to build it. They began to have neighborhoods build up around, around you know, their, their, their military camp there at Camp Lejeune there in, in North Carolina. And finally they had so much complaint that they put out a sign. And this is what the sign read. So the, all the people around, it says, pardon our noise. It's the sound of freedom. Pardon our noise. Sorry it's a little loud for you, but this is what freedom looks like. This is what it costs. This is the sound of freedom. This is the sound of God has done something so great for us. Which brings me to my second point, and that is... Worship that actually firms up your faith. It recognizes the cost of freedom. I couldn't believe that Angie, before she entered into that song today, said... I just think it's important that we remember where we came from, remember where we would be, that we just go back, and she said in the resources of her mind, to go back and just like remember who you were before Christ came and delivered you. This kind of worship that I'm talking about that firms up your faith is one that goes, God, I know where I would be if it weren't for you. I know what track I was on, trajectory I was on. If you had not come and saved my life, this type of worship. And so that person who says, I'm so grateful, can I tell you my story, sir? Can I, hey, bro, can can, you got a second? I know we've been working together for two weeks, riding in this truck, going over. But let me just tell you my story, bro. I'm going to tell you where I would be. Had Jesus not come into my life, had he not saved me from the bitterness of what had happened in my childhood, had he not delivered me from the, from the unfaithfulness that I saw propagated as I grew up as a kid and I was doing the same thing, unfaithful to my spouse, unfa- had he not set me free where I would be right now. This is the kind of worship, if you will. It recognizes the cost of freedom. Luke chapter 7 and verse 47. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven for she loveth much but he who has been forgiven little loves little. He's, this is the day before this triumphal entry. Jesus is at there at the house of Lazarus and, and the sweet gal comes and pours over him on his feet and on his head the alabaster jar. She breaks it open and Judas gets all mad about it and says, that money, cut. Has been spent to help poor people. And Jesus says, Shut your mouth. Shut up. Paraphrase, sorry, that's not scripture, but it's, I paraphrased it. The attitude there is like, Shut it. And he says, For she has prepared me for my death. This act of worship will be remembered when everything else is gone. Because she loveth much, because she's been forgiven much. Do you remember how much you've been forgiven of? Because, see, what I find is people who are fickle in their faith, they have forgotten what they really deserved. The the mercy that was extended to them. What they should have got. And now they're thinking what they should get. I should get this and I should have this. I don't know where God is. See, somehow they have forgotten what they really deserved. They have forgotten where they really came from. And the price of the freedom that they had, that Jesus paid, the price that he paid for their freedom. That's why it's important that we go back to the cross at least a few times a year and remember what he, what he went through so that you and I could experience freedom. Are you with me today? Say yes. Pardon my noise its the sound of freedom. brings me to the third, if you will, the third worship type, that, our third thing in worship that causes you to go from fickle to firm and that is it's worship that continues through disappointment. The mature people in this church have been through some disappointment and they still lift in them hands. And they're still declaring him good. And they're still reading the same old scriptures that they read 10 years ago, 30 years ago, and finding truth in it. They're still worshiping him everywhere they go. And they've been through some things. They got some scars and some disappointments. But somewhere along the way, they recognized what happened in Acts chapter 16. As Paul and Silas had been out ministering, and they grabbed them and they took him and said, You're not allowed to minister here. And after they had been falsely accused and falsely taken, uh, I mean, come on. Have you ever been pulled over and mistreated and abandoned? Come on. Have you seen the videos? And so these guys have had that, but they've been severely flogged, verse 23 of Acts 16. And they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet. In the stocks. They just weren't handcuffed. They weren't just put in a cell and the handcuffs taken off of them. They were chained on their feet, on their hands. They were chained to a wall. Their feet were chained down. There were men standing right there beside them. The gates of the inner in the inner prison and in the outer prison wall. All these different prison walls. They were in the inner chamber where no one could get to them. They have been beaten, they're bleeding everywhere. They're starving to death. And guess what? They begin to do in the middle of the night. Pick it up right there in verse 24, verse 25, excuse me. About midnight. Paul and Silas. We're praying and singing hymns. Yeah. Lips all busted, noses all sideways, cauliflower ear, they've been beat on so much. And then change, they begin to say, Hallelujah, and Hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. The Bible says that the prisoners woke up boys doing in there hallelujah because holy holy are you like god almighty worthy is the lamb and they're singing and the whole prison begins to shake because god the father says oh no y'all not keeping that down you're not keeping that locked up and literally lets them out of prison Everything shakes. All the doors open. All the chains fall off. Why? Because they had learned how to worship through difficulty. Where did Paul learn to do that? Oh, I don't know. When he first got saved and he was out preaching, everyone in Damascus wanted to kill him. And so the disciples said, hey, dude, you got to get out of here. What? I'm I'm doing a good job. you got to go. You're going to get us all killed. They get him out of the city and he goes by himself and he lives out in the wilderness alone disappointed. Like, I thought, man, I, I made a change. I got right with God, and now nobody's here to help me. I'm all by myself. I ain't got no money. I ain't got no food. So then after a couple of years of that, he goes and he shows up in Jerusalem and says, hey, remember me? I was a guy trying to kill you guys, and a couple years ago, I had a radical experience, and I was preaching so good in Damascus, but they had to get me out of there because they were trying to kill all the Christians because of me, and I was getting everybody fired up. I just want to be a part, and they like, like, oh, we don't believe you're the true thing. We don't know if you're really a Christian. Barnabas has to step in and say, no, no, he's the real deal. Okay. So he starts preaching in Jerusalem. Now all the Jerusalem leadership, Jewish leadership wants to kill him and they're coming against all the church as a result of, Paul, we got to get rid of you, bro. You can't be around the church. You just cause so much problems. So they send him back to where he's from in Tarsus and they leave his self there for seven years. Let me tell you where he learned to worship. The church didn't do me right. Leadership didn't do me right. But Jesus is Lord and I will worship him no matter how difficult times get. He is still God. He was firming up his faith through every bit of that. And then that revival broke out in this little area called Antioch. And then someone said, we don't know how to handle this revival because it's not just Jewish folks. It's non-Jewish, it's it's multiracial. We don't know how to do black worship or Hispanic (laughs) worship. But that dude, Paul, he knows how to do that. Go find him. And they go and get him. And he comes back and he and Barnabas just roll in the glory. I mean, just miracle after miracle after miracle. In fact, the Jerusalem church is like, that's what it really looks like. What we got is kind of left over from old Jewish religion. But what they got is the true gospel where every man and every woman no matter their background no matter no matter their ideologies even if some of it's not right they put their faith in Jesus this is what it looks like this is the model and from that point forward, every church thereafter was modeled after Antioch the church in fact it's the first place we were called the church was there so when he's out planting churches he gets put in jail falsely, not right, and no one's there to protect him. He's learned what it is to worship in difficulty and say he's good. Silas, don't worry about it. This ain't nothing. We still alive, right? Okay. Keep worshiping. Where do you get that kind of firm faith? How many others have been fickle? John Mark ran off the moment that he got t- tough in the first missionary journey. Paul is saying, listen. This ain't nothing. Just keep worshiping, buddy. The firm faith. And I'm grateful for the Apostle Paul's firm faith. We wouldn't have two thirds of our New Testament if it wasn't for his firm faith. He had plenty of reason to say, forget this. I didn't sign up for this. I ain't signed up for the Jerusalem church to leadership to judge me wrong and all that. I'm doing my best. Forget it. Let me tell you something. This is why so many will fall away in these days. Because they have fickle faith. Can't get disappointed. Uh, They took my parking spot at the church Oh my God Oh my God They didn't didn't put me on the worship team I forget the (laughs) Mm, Sin Fickle faith (laughs) But I'm looking at some men and women who say No, 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 not on my watch I'm going to not be fickle I'm going to be firm So we got to go through some things to get firm faith, right? You got to go through some stuff to get some firm faith. So, if you're in the middle of some stuff, just say, Thank you, Jesus. Blessed be the name. Blessed be the name. That brings me to my last piece, and you still love me, so you let me keep preaching. That is, well, I find in Scripture the kind of worship that firms up your faith is the kind of worship that actually helps others. Well, let me just tell you how the Scripture says it. I didn't make that up. These are all straight out of the Holy Word. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. He's going to qualify what he means by sacrifice of praise, but he, but he puts this little tipic to it. The fruit of our lips that openly confess his name. And then he qualifies what he means by sacrifice of praise. And do not forget to do good and share with others. For with such sacrifice, God is pleased. Worship's just not sitting around singing. Hallelujah. Let me tell you what worship is. Every time you get in your truck, you get in your car and you go to work and you make a paycheck and you've got that little bit of budget that you're trying to live on. Things are happening in the economy and you're not sure if you're going to have a job. And you see someone in need in our church or in your relationship line and you go, baby, I think we need to help them right now. And you make a sacrifice. You give and you share and you do good to others. When you say, you know what, I don't have a whole lot of time. But I know our church is seeing so many new people get saved and come to Christ that they need somebody to help maybe just, uh, you know, help, help lead out in a small group. I don't have all, the, all of it figured out, but I'll I'll host a small group. I'll just, I'll just hang out with some people and, and try to let them, get them some Christian friends. I, I don't have a lot of time. My kids are in baseball. My daughter's, you know, playing soccer, you know, and starting to go, go, go really well. But what little bit of time, I will carve it out. That is an act of worship. And this is the kind of worship that what it does is it starts firming up your faith. Because as you give, you will receive. the bible says god says he will not be indebted to anybody he will not be indebted he says if you do my work i will take care of you and your family and every bit of interest and somehow the, the 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 christians of this era don't get it in fact it's because the christians of the other area about 15 20 30 years ago they had a concept if i give it i can get some so they give it to get some give it to get some and 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 the and the christians of this era go i know that's not right but And so I don't want that, that motive. Something about that's not right because that's manipulative. You're not going to manipulate God. But I do know that the scripture teaches me that as I give, I will receive. And the reason that is is because it's not about you giving so you can get. It's about you giving because you love him and you're worshiping him. And what the principle is this, is that he's saying, if you do that, <laughs> baby, you, I, you, I, it's my job to take care of you. Because you're taking care of my business, I'm going to take care of your business, don't worry. It's not, give me a Honda Accord and I'm going to give you a Mercedes, here we go, here we go. That's That's where the prosperity gospel got off, if you will. But God taking care of his people, you cannot get past that in scripture. He says, but this is the kind of worship that does good and shares with others. For such sacrifice, God is pleased. One of our one of the precious people in our church told me a couple weeks ago, I said, Pastor, we got in real trouble financially. Something happened in our job. And we try to never beg and plead and ask for help. It's, it's just part of our, something we're still overcoming, you know, a little bit of pride. But we mentioned it to our small group. And, uh, and Pastor, you're not going to believe our small group. They just started, they just started reaching out to other people. And they're trying to get us money to pay our rent and things like that. It was unbelievable. I said, like, man, I didn't even know about that. Because that's what small group life is. That's what it's supposed to look like. So as a lead pastor, I didn't even know. That's just Christians being Christians. And they go, you're not going to believe it, pastor. They gave, and, and then someone, someone that we knew back in the day gave towards it. We were able to pay our rent. We were able to stay in our, stay in our house. And, 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 you know, they were just having another baby. It was a miracle. And I asked them, I said, can I share this? They said, absolutely. Let me t- so you've got the sacrifice of praise by the small group leader Who's, who's got plenty of things to do. I know these people personally. And, and, and you've got the, the couple that's connected with them in their small group. And they're, going, they're doing everything they can for the Lord. And they hit a rough patch. These guys have a little bit of resources. Other people in the small group at this moment have a little bit of resources. So they give it to them. And then, and then this person tells me, he said, And pastor, they gave us a, we, there was a couple extra hundred dollars that came through in that whole process that we really didn't have to have. It, it, we, we were in need, but this was above our need. And then someone at my wife's work that we'd been witnessing to said, you know what, I'm not going to be able to pay rent. Just, I know you're a Christian, pray for me. And the amount that they needed was the amount that we had extra and we gave it to them. See God's business at work? This is worship. This is where this firms up your faith because you say, I remember when we didn't have nothing, but we kept giving and God took care of us. I remember when everything was against us and we stood and we kept serving God. We kept going to church, we kept loving on people, even though we didn't have an ounce left in us. We just kept being good and sacrificial and helping others. Even as we did that, God began to do this for us. And let me tell you, that's firming up the faith. Firming up the faith. So when all of a sudden some idiot stands up there on YouTube or something, and I tell you these scripture right there. Wrong. and this, 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 this you can say lie, because I don't have fickle faith. I have firm faith, the kind of faith that says, "Oh no, you're not crucifying him on my watch." The kind of faith that says, "You know what? He's Jesus, the King of Glory, and no matter what, no matter what it looks like right now, he is still Jesus." King of glory He is the king of my life And I will not bow And I will not surrender Friend, what we need Like we've ever needed before We need some firm faith In the body of Christ We need to root out All that old fickle faith That up and down I call it situational faith Situational faith You love Him when it's going good Woo, praise the Lord I just got a new job Pastor, hallelujah Woo, my man has been loving on me Pastor, woo We just got back from vacation, and then I see you a month or two later. Pastor, I don't know if we're going to stay together. (laughs) I don't know. That dude, we ain't been out to eating forever. Situational faith. Situational love. You and I, we're not going to be those kind. We're going to be the kind of folks that say, you know what, come hell or how. Remember the old mamas in the faith? Come on, y'all remember the old mamas? Oh, praise the Lord, baby. Praise the Lord, baby. He's good. He's gonna, I would ask those mamas at our church, those beautiful black ladies that have been in, in, in Christ since they were, you know, 10 years old. And I'd ask them, say, how in the world? You ain't got no money. You oh, he's good, baby. He don't leave us. He don't forsake us. And they would coach me and they'd teach me. And I t- I'm telling you, their firm faith firmed up my faith. Are you with me? Come on, if you have firm faith, you'll firm up some other young Christians' faith. Are you with me? Say yes. Amen. Come on, stand with me quickly across the room. I want to pray over us today. And I, here's what I want you to do. Right there where you stand. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. And I want you to put your hand over your heart. And I want you to begin to tell the Lord, don't let me have fickle faith, Father. Don't let me have fickle faith. Firm up my faith. That's what I want you to tell him, right? Where you at? come on, close your eyes, because that gives you a place to concentration. And I want you right there where you at say, Lord, I don't want to have fickle faith. Now, I gave you how worship firms up our faith. One minute they're yelling Hosanna, they're worshiping him that way. And the next minute they're worshiping their fear. Crucifying. Crucifying. And I want you right where you're at. Some of you are in the middle of disappointment. And I want you to look at the disappointment and say, Jesus is still Lord. He's still my God. And I won't turn on Him. I won't turn my back on Him. I won't yell crucify. I won't be a part of that group. Right where you stand. Some of you, you 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 were raised not to be passionate. And, and, and you fear that you don't want to be a hype person or you don't want to be a, you know, a, ses- a sensational, you know, sensationalize the things of God. Which means to make it hype more than it really is. That fear is keeping you from being passionate. I just want you to get free from that right now. Say, Lord, I will worship you with every bit of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's what Jesus told us to do. That's what he told us to do. Some of you have been so scared to help others recently because you're like, I need help. I need help. Nobody sees my pain. Let me tell you something, that's fickle faith, don't, don't, don't fall into that. You worship your God. You've got the ability to help somebody, you help them. He says this is the praise that He's looking for. The eyes of the Lord search out. He's looking for those who will worship Him in spirit and truth. He seeks them out. He searches for them. Is it you? Ah. Uh, It's not you Is it you? Yes, there's one Angels, come here Look at that one Look what they're going through And they're still praising Chained up in a prison They're still worshiping They're not where they want to be They thought by now I would have done this one But it just wasn't It ain't ain't timing And they're still praising They're that cult That I see them Even though they don't feel seen Jesus Jesus Hey, thank you for joining us online here at Hill City. We're so honored that you would take the time to join us remotely and to celebrate the goodness of Jesus. I hope that word spoke to you. I hope that you were blessed today, and I hope that you are encouraged to go forth in the confidence of Jesus this week, wherever you are. If you made a decision today uh, to serve Jesus for the first time, we wanna celebrate with you. Would you text DECIDED to 469 606 2684. And uh, we want to respond. And again, just connect with you and celebrate the beginning of an amazing discipleship journey with Jesus. Don't forget next week, we are here again, same place, same time, nine o'clock and 11. And until then, we hope you have an amazing week.